listeners of Dying to Be Found. If you're fans of Deb and Beth like we are, we hope that you'll give us a try. We like them a lot and we hope that you'll like us too. I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey. And we, we are, are True Crime b and We do a podcast every week. We release on Fridays. And every week we'll bring to you two different true crime stories. First we'll bring you a disturbing story. And then one that will hopefully uplift your spirits a little bit. We'd love to have you listen to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, so join us every week on Friday. Find us anywhere you find your podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, I don't know anywhere else. (laughs) (laughs) And also you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at True Crime BNB. Did we even mention that we're mom and daughter? No. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you join our crime family. Bye. Bye. Hi everyone, this is Deb from Dying to be Found. Before we get started, I just wanted to say that episodes contain disturbing discussions on harmful acts and crimes against animals and or humankind. Recordings are not intended for young or sensitive audiences due to the content nature of this podcast. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hi everyone, this is Deb, your host of this awesome little true crime podcast called Dying to be Found. If this is your first time listening, I want to thank you for being here today. We drop new episodes every Thursday, and if you have a storyline request, please shoot us an email, message us on Instagram, or go to our show notes to find our storyline request under our Linktree account. And besides that, we love what we do, but would love it even more if you can give us a five-star rating. Now, if you are a regular listener, you may have already caught on that my sister and co-host Beth isn't in the studio today, and I'm pretty sure she's out Christmas shopping, so I've invited two special guests to join me today. I've been following these ladies for a little while now, and absolutely love how one plays the good guy and one plays the bad guy on their podcast. They're a mother-daughter duo from the true crime podcast, True Crime B&B. If you've not had a chance to check them out, you really need to do that. So, without further ado... Please let me introduce Beth and Bailey from True Crime B&B. Hi, guys. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey. So you can get the voices down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before we get started, first of all, I find it very ironic that I'm talking with another Beth right now. <laughs> if you're regular followers, you know that my sister Beth is a co-host on my own podcast here. But Beth... Today, you are not taking my sister's place, and I'm going to try not to mix the two of you guys up, but it really is nice to talk with you guys in person. It's very nice to talk to you, too, and thank you for inviting us. Yeah, absolutely. I know that we talked a few months ago about doing a collab, so I'm really excited about this happening today. Awesome. Well, this is going to be fun. Yeah, and Bailey, I'm so excited to meet you as well. Yeah, I don't think we've talked. (laughs) No, we haven't talked. Who was I talking to yesterday? Was that you? Beth. Got you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, she's the millennial, but she's also, uh, what is it I call you? The anti-technology. Technology. <laughs> uh, conscientious objector mm-hmm. to technology is my millennial. Yes, yes, I got you. But in the meantime, I get it. Beth is the same way. I'm the technology guru at our end, so we get it done. That's really what matters, right? Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. And Bailey, I don't know if you've heard any of my episodes with my daughter Shelby. She fills in from time to time, but she's around your age. Really? Yeah, she's on a couple of them. I like to do episodes where it kind of hits home with her and gets her aware of things. I like to do that little motherly thing from time to time and do an episode that's going to make her pay attention. That's right. (laughs) To help her stay safe because there's so much out there that she may not be cognizant of. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I just wanted to mention that Bailey and Beth live in Georgia, just like I do, which is kind of cool. So in just a couple of minutes, we're actually going to talk about a case from Georgia. But before we do that, I thought I might ask you guys a couple questions about your own podcast. Okay, cool. First question, I was wondering what made you guys decide to even do a podcast together? Well, I think it it kind of goes into another question that we're often asked. People ask about the format and the whole reason for us doing the podcast was because we found from our podcast listening that there was a a niche that seemed to be not being filled whereas you've listened to a lot of 
true crime podcasts and they're all gonna leave you down at the end because they're really heavy subject matter Mm -hmm. and so we thought what if we were to do a podcast and we left you with an upper story at the end on every episode And that's kind of where we came from. Yeah, a lot of the main ones, they'll have a survivor story every, like, ten episodes. And we were like, well, what if we just end it on one every episode so you don't just walk away feeling depressed (laughs) after that day, so. That's what I really like about that is, you're right, I mean, a lot of what my sister Beth and I talk about is heavy subjects. Um, I think a lot of the time we use humor to kind of get us out of that rut because some of the stories that we tell are just rough and we need palate cleansers so i love the idea that you guys do that with your storylines yeah how did you decide who's going to be the bad guy good guy well it started that i was going to be the good guy every week but sometimes bailey comes with a story that she really wants to cover mm-hmm. yeah i think i'm just better at being the bad guy i cry <laughs> too much when it's a happy ending and she's way better <laughs> no i cry too we just edit all that out yeah. <laughs> That's where half our bloopers come from, is us us trying to say the same sentence five times and crying every single time. <laughs> right now I'm doing a running episode on, and it's not out yet, it'll be a probably a bonus episode at our year anniversary. You listeners, you're going to be able to listen to a whole episode of Nothing But Bloopers, and oh my gosh, we did one on the bog bodies. Holy cow, I could not get through. It took me more than five minutes to stop laughing, crying. That sounds awesome, though. I can't wait for that one to come out. Mm -hmm. So when is your one year going to be? In February. We started a little late. Oh, us too. Yeah, we're only just a couple episodes behind each other. I think I'm just three episodes behind you. Yeah, so you started about the same time. And it's probably because we released four in the first week. And that's probably the only reason that we're even ahead of you. Oh, wow. So how do you guys decide on the stories that you report? A tactic I've done recently is because we always say we try to cover the smaller town cases and stuff that aren't in the mainstream more often than not. Um, But what I've been doing is just kind of Google, Google mapping, just dropping my spot like anywhere in America or in the world and then just zooming in on a tiny little town and searching homicide and see if something comes up and I don't know it's worked out so what well, mm-hmm. so far I don't know <laughs> yeah and for me um, it's a little bit harder sometimes to find uplifting survivor stories because as you know from listening to Bailey's survivor stories they're still pretty brutal to get through a lot of the time yeah and it's hard to find them that actually have something positive at the end that's you know this survivor went out and started this foundation or this survivor has been helping domestic abuse victims and things like that so for me it's I start with randomly picking a crime like brutal knife attack survivor or something like that and also we try to not do every single episode in the United States because there are so many crimes that people in the United States will never have heard of Mm -hmm. because we don't hear about those crimes unless they're really big ones and there are people just like us everywhere in the world that have the exact same things happening to them. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a crapshoot every week as far as which one of us is going to come up with what. And it's kind of fun finding the right one, though, because yeah. then you get excited and then you get to researching, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then you can go down those rabbit holes and turn it into something completely different. Exactly, <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, with today's story, I, I, I couldn't really find a ton on one of the topics that I'm going to be talking about, which is why I'm going to end up blending it which, you know, we'll get to in a minute. But before we do, I wanted to ask you, what is one of your favorite episodes that you would recommend to our listeners? Bailey said that for her, her favorite episode is always the most recent one. (laughs) Yeah. Just because it kind of is the one that's still in our hearts the most. Mm -hmm. We get very, very involved in these stories. And, you know, we sit here talking about these victims as if we knew them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, after researching them for hours and hours and hours and watching videos of them and their family mourning them, it's just, you feel like you lost a friend a little bit. So it's always yes. yeah, kind of what yeah. sticks to you a little bit. And I think for, for yeah. me specifically, one that really, really stands out to me is the Joshua Law story. Mm-hmm. Because I have my little Architect Mayhem series, 
And that was one of the Architect Mayhem bonus episodes. So there was only one case in that episode. But it was very telling to me of how people really take on more than they can handle. Yeah. And bring so much stress into their lives. And it it just affects you. It affects everything about your life. Oh, yeah. When you allow that kind of stress to build up. And with him, he ended up doing a horrific thing that he never would have done otherwise if he had been in a normal life situation. So for me, that's kind of the episode that will always be in my heart because I can really relate to what he was going through. Mm -hmm. And just, um, I was luckier than he was. Yeah. Well, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at True Crime BNB. And if you wanted to send us an email, which nobody ever does, but if you <laughs> wanted to, you could email us at truecrimebnbpod at gmail.com. Okay. Well, thanks so much for sharing, and I appreciate that. So sometimes when we step out of our own podcast, I think it really makes us human, sort of like what you were mentioning a little while ago, and it helps to keep things in perspective for sure. And with that, I I guess I'll ask you if you're ready for me to tell the tale. I am ready. Are you ready, Bailey? Yep, let's hear it. (laughs) Let's go. Okay. Since we all reside in Georgia, I thought this would be a perfect time to bring up a case coming out of Georgia today. Okay, so usually what I do is I start by asking my sister, Beth, a question, which kind of relates to the story. So I'm going to ask you guys a question now. Have you ever been in a room or maybe out shopping anywhere where just everybody's phone goes off at the same time? Like an alert sort of message that a child is missing? I have not ever been out in public when that happened, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I was in a a room full of phones one day that just went off all at the same time. Oh, wow. Um, And everybody, of course, stops and looks at it, but uh, yeah. That had to be a little bit creepy. It really kind of was, and I'll tell you, I was going to mention this a little bit later, but one of the people in the room made a derogatory comment about everybody's phones going off at the same time. (sighs) I just basically set them straight in a nice diplomatic way to say, hey, like, this is serious you're making a joke of it this is somebody's child yeah Mm -hmm. i'm sorry we inconvenienced you that somebody's child might be stolen Mm -hmm. excuse us yeah absolutely well i mean i think they felt bad about it and hopefully they have a different mindset now well i asked you that because we are going to talk about levi frady and amber hagerman you may or may not recognize their names you certainly will in just a little bit In the state of Georgia, we have something that's known as Levi's Call, which is that alert system that we all get on our phones from time to time when a child is missing or abducted. And at the national level, we know this as the Amber Alert. I know you guys know those. I Mm -hmm. don't think I recognize Levi's Call. Yeah, I knew Amber Alert. I've never heard about Levi, yo. Okay, well, I'm here to educate you guys today. How about that? Fantastic. That sounds great. All right. So I'm going to start by talking about Levi, who unfortunately was abducted back in 1997 while riding his bike home from a friend's house. Those are awful stories. Oh, I know. Levi was born to Marilyn and Milton Frady in 1986 and had a twin sister named Lacey. As life would have it, though, Levi's parents divorced when the twins were three years old and Marilyn received full custody of the children. They moved on to live in Forsyth County, Georgia, and the twins attended North Forsyth Middle School in Cumming. They were in grade six, so they just started middle school. Levi was a typical boy who loved the outdoors and music. And I couldn't tell if maybe he had an ear for music. He was in the band or, you know, how that's really a coming of age. So kids that age really start defining their own style of music that they enjoy. I mean, I remember being that age and going into my own genres as opposed to listening to Beth's music, my sister's music. Right. (laughs) I had the same experience with Beth. Okay, now let's fast forward to October 22nd of 1997, where 11 year old Levi Frady arrived home from school and called his mother to ask if he could go to a friend's house. Marilyn gave him permission to do so, 
but asked him to come home for supper at 6.30 that evening. I know that we've done that, you know, let the kids go out and play. My son, Corey, has lived in the woods when he was growing up at that age. Just Mm -hmm. be home in time for supper. And the friend whose house Levi had gone to later told police that he had left around 6.30 to make his way home. Around 6.38 p.m., Levi made a pit stop at another friend's house to call his mother to let her know that he was on his way. Remember the era back when we had those phones on the walls? This occurred right before cell phones, so Levi would have had to call from a landline. Right. Now, according to witnesses, Levi was seen taking an alternate route on his way home somewhere around 6.45 p.m. So he's already late because he was told to be home at 6.30. By 7 o'clock, Marilyn began calling around to Levi's friends to see where Levi was, but didn't get an answer. So she and Lacey got in the car and started going out to look for him. So he went a direction home that is not his normal route that he would take? Yeah, I think likely because he made that pit stop at that second friend's house. Okay. So, you know, it wasn't a, wasn't the direct route that he would have taken otherwise. And he only stopped there so that he could call his mom? Yeah. Did she not know where he was calling from? I believe that she knew which house he was going to to visit his friend, but he was already late going home, so he probably made that pit stop along the way at the second friend's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's responsible of him that he's thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. About a mile from the house, they reached a road called Little Mill Road in Dawsonville, Georgia. Mm-hmm. where they came upon Levi's red bike lying abandoned in a ditch. So Levi's gone, his bike is found. Oh, no. As in many missing persons cases, Marilyn waited until 8 o'clock the next morning to call police to report Levi missing. I don't think I could do that, though. I think my motherly instincts would definitely kick in. I think I'd panic too much. I know the the standard answer is you have to wait 24 hours, and this was back in 1997. Mm -hmm. So you know that they were probably going to tell her, well, you know, maybe he just went to another friend's house. Yeah, but a kid is different than an adult. And if your kid is missing and your kid's bike has been abandoned somewhere, I think it's ridiculous to say, let's just wait and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, especially a kid who literally just called to say, hey, I'm running a little bit late, but I'm on my way. Like, that's not a kid that's about to run off, you know? Yeah. So true. Well, I will tell you this, too, just as a side note. I just got back from Washington, D.C. I had this trip planned for a little while. While we were up at the Lincoln Memorial, there was a woman walking around, and I could hear the panic in her voice. She had lost her children. There were two of them that she was yelling out for. And it took me just a minute because I was listening to her yelling. I thought, okay, well, she's just getting her kids' attention. But the more I listened, I noticed that she was panicking and she couldn't find her kids. So I was just about to go help her when somebody walked up and told her that they had found the kids. That's a terrifying feeling when you do not know where your child is. Yes. This one would hide under things at the galleon store. Yeah, I hid under a canoe and fell asleep for a while once. (gasps) Oh my God. <laughs> they had to shut the galleon store down. They had the bl- they had the exits blocked. <gasps> and I was panicked. Oh my gosh! How old were you, Bailey? <laughs> Maybe like six, seven. I don't even know if you're that old. Four or five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Oh my gosh! And you fell asleep. I didn't know. I didn't know bad things happened yet. I'm still mad about it too. <laughs> <laughs> As well you should be. (laughs) I I will tell you this. Once that woman in Washington discovered that her children were okay, I mean, she went from panicked to very angry in a hot second. I literally heard her saying she was going to kill her kids when she was walking towards them. Now that you're alive, I'm going to kill you. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I know. I couldn't imagine though. I did lose Corey once by a lake. We were camping one time and I lost my son when he was three. Camping would be scary. Oh, in a lake. By a lake, yeah. He had the need for speed. He had this little tricycle he was riding and just followed the guy that was working at the park blowing leaves. He followed him around a corner, found a nice long hill to ride down, and ended up at somebody else's camping spot. Oh my goodness. But for 15 minutes of my life, it was terrifying. That would be terrifying because at a lake, you would be extra vigilant. Yes. All right. Well, after 
Marilyn had called the police. They went to patrol the areas that Marilyn and her neighbors believed that Levi had traveled between the houses the day before. On October 23rd of 1997, this would be the day after that he went missing. This was opening day for hunting season in the Dawson Forest, which was heavily populated with avid hunters. And for our listeners who don't know the Dawsonville area, Dawson Forest is the same area that Gary Michael Hilton took Meredith Emerson when he abducted her in 2008, which my sister Beth and I had talked about in episode 23. If you have not had a chance to go listen to that, I would say you'd need to go listen to that one. Mm -hmm. All right. Unfortunately, at around 2 p.m. on October 23rd, Levi Frady was discovered deceased in the Dawson Forest about 20 miles from his house. Hunters found Levi face up in a water-filled ditch inside the Dawson Forest Wildlife Management Area in Dawson County, which is one county over from Forsyth where Levi lived. (sighs) And according to the GBI, or Georgia Bureau of Investigations, the Forsyth County Sheriff at the time, Denny Hendricks, stated that he believed Levi was killed near his home before being taken to that forest. That's horrifying. Yeah. Both Forsyth and Dawson counties continue, and I'm going to say present terms, they continue to collaborate on this case, but to this day, Levi's death still remains unsolved. Levi's mom still lives in the same house that Levi and Lacey grew up in and now has a grandson who is the same age that Levi was when he disappeared. And Lacey, Levi's sister, gave her son Levi as his middle name in memory of her brother. That was sweet. Yeah. I'm going to talk about two suspects from eyewitness accounts. One suspect was later identified in Levi's murder. Well, it's a suspect. They weren't really identified. They were just from eyewitness accounts. Like I said, this case is still unsolved. But one suspect was seen on Little Mill Road where Levi's bike was found. And this man is described as a white male who at the time was in his 50s. So he would probably be somewhere around 75 today. The man had gray hair, a scruffy beard, and was wearing a blue faded baseball cap. Plus, walked with a stoop. Do you guys know what a stoop is? It's kind of like walking in a, maybe with their head down or... Kind of hunchy. Yeah. He was seen somewhere around 6.30 p.m., which was around the time that Levi was making his way home for supper. The second suspect was seen hanging around Dawson Forest and was also described to be a white male. He was somewhere between 45 and 55 years old. He also had gray hair was clean-shaven, stood somewhere around six feet tall, and had a slim build. Witnesses saw the suspect driving an older blue Toyota pickup truck with a camper shell on the back. The pickup is believed to be a Toyota model between the years of 1980 and 1985, which I'm mentioning in the case that any of our listeners have information on this case. So when they say that they found him in the area of Dawsonville, or Dawson... Dawsonville Forest or Dawson Forest? Dawson Forest. When they saw him in the area of Dawson Forest, did they mean in the area near to where he lived or in the area near to where he was found? Where he was found. So Levi lived in Forsyth County in Cumming, Georgia. And Dawson Forest is in Dawsonville, Georgia. Oh, I thought it was a very expansive forest. I thought it took up parts of both of those counties. Oh, I see. I gotcha. No, he he was found in Dawson County, about 20 miles away from where he lived. Okay, but the man with the truck cap was also seen in that same area where he was found. Yes. Now, suspect number one with the stoop, he was seen on the road where Levi's bike was found. And the second suspect was found over by the forest. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to jump forward a little bit to July 7th of 2020. And based on a tip, the GBI successfully obtained a search warrant on July 7th, 2020, to search a man's home by the name of Marshall Talent, who lived in Cumming. And according to a tipster, Talent was apparently in possession of the gun used to murder Levi. And let me just mention, the person that presented this tip to police was Talent's lifelong partner. And he reported this information, guys, back on August 16th of 2013. 
2013. Oh, wow. Yeah. It took him seven years to go and follow up on this tip? It did. I wonder why it would take that long. I bet you're going to give us a theory about that. No, I'm stumped. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say he worked for the the Bureau of Investigation. (laughs) I know I like to do thorough research, but I am not that good. (laughs) All right. Okay, so the very day that the search warrant was issued, Talent was found dead on his property by a delivery driver. Hmm. Apparently, a man named Tommy Albert Samples stabbed Talent to death when a drug deal went wrong. So it was just coincidental that he happened to be murdered on the same day that the search warrant was supposed to be? Yes. That's crazy. I know. And the problem with that is he really could have given some information. Now we have nothing. Well, so was there any forensic evidence that was saved from the remains of Levi or from the crime scene? Yes. Actually, there is, which I will talk about in just a moment. Um, there. Okay, don't mean to jump ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. I mean, in this day and age, back in 1997, DNA was not a thing no but they a lot of times they save that stuff mm-hmm. well albert samples was arrested for talent's murder pretty quickly during his interrogation he made mention of the gun used to kill levi frady and police either overlooked his comment or disregarded this information would you like to know why i would like to know why they wanted to know more information on marshall talent's stabbing that's what they were focusing on so they prioritize the guy doing a drug deal's death over the child that was possibly murdered the only only thing that I can think of from this scenario is that because it was in 2020, even though we have this emergency alert system in place, because of the time that went by, maybe the investigators weren't really familiar with the name Levi Frady. I don't know. I mean, I, I have no idea why they were more interested in this stabbing. And I don't know why they couldn't ask about both things. It's not like you only get to allow a certain number of questions, mm-hmm. you know? Go ahead and ask about the stabbing and then follow up on the gun. Yeah. Now, the reason that the gun was even brought up is because when Talent and Samples got into an altercation, at some point in time during the interrogation, he had removed his shirt to show the police that Talent had shot him in the arm, so that's why he stabbed him in self-defense. Oh, okay. When they asked him what gun was used, Albert replied the same one that they shot Levi Frady with. Oh my God. And they didn't even go, hey, do a quick Google search. Who's this Levi Frady kid? I know. So was talent of the correct age that he could have been the guy that was seen by the bike or near on the street where the bike was found? I could not find any information on him. As much as I looked, I really couldn't. That's a great question. I mean, I would love to answer that for you, but I don't have an answer today. Hmm. Well, either of them, it sounds like, would have been in their 70s in in, in 2020s. Yeah, that's very true. Georgia legislation called for Levi's call, which is the state's version of the Amber Alert system that I had mentioned a little while ago. This emergency system dispatches across everyone's cell phone and those digital signs that you guys see on the expressway or interstate anytime a child goes missing. Levi's call partners with Georgia broadcasters, so the news media, law enforcement officials, and the emergency management system to create real-time alerts on abducted children under the age of 18. So they have some pretty specific criteria that they use. It has to be somebody under the age of 18. Right. Non-custodial parents are not allowed to request a emergency response activation. So you have to be a custodial parent or guardian before that can be issued. That seems like it's a little bit lopsided. Yeah. I mean, just because somebody's the custodial parent doesn't mean they aren't going to do anything to hurt a child. Yeah. Unfortunately, when divorces happen, it's not always a good parenting situation. Right. If, if you as... Vallow, the, like that's... Yeah. If her older brother had been able to report his younger sister missing, that probably would have been solved a lot sooner, but... Yeah. That's rough. Yeah, that sounds like a little bit wrong-headed there as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Alerts with the Levi's call. Alerts are transmitted 
through the Georgia Emergency Management Agency and pictures are immediately sent out to the news media so they're broadcasted pretty quickly. And really that's all I have on Levi. He would be 36 years old today and if any of our listeners have any information on this case you can contact the Georgia Bureau of Investigations in Cleveland, Georgia at 706-348-4866 or 1-800-597-8477. If you need to remember that one, it's 800-597-TIPS. So that is Levi Frady, but I'm going to move now to talk about Amber Hagerman. She was born in Texas on November 25th, 1986, and she is the girl known from the Amber Alert emergency system that it's named after. On January 12th, 1996, Amber and her family went to Arlington, Texas to visit their grandparents. The next day, on January 13th of 1996, Amber and her six-year-old brother, Ricky, got permission to go out bike riding. Their mother, Donna, warned them to stay within one block of the house, but around 3.10 p.m., the kids made their way to an abandoned Winn-Dixie parking lot about two blocks from the house. People who do not know what a Winn-Dixie is, because I sure did not know what that was before I moved to Georgia, it's a grocery store. Winn-Dixie is known to be located in rural towns in southern states. I can't really say that I've ever seen them in big towns and Honestly, I don't even know if it exists anymore because over time, over the years, I've seen many of them shut down. Well, I've lived in Georgia coming up on 10 years and I've never seen a Winn-Dixie. I think they're more Western. Okay. Because I think Kroger owns them now. I only know that because I worked for Kroger, but yeah, I'm pretty (laughs) sure Kroger owns them and now they're just on the West Coast, probably. Okay. So they probably still exist, but... Kroger merged with the rest of them. Yep. Gotcha. (laughs) Well, little Ricky got scared about traveling further than where he was told to, which is cool because he's a little rule follower. Mm Yeah. And he turned back to return to his grandparents' house, but Amber kept going. She decided she was going to go on down the road on her bike. Once Ricky arrived back at the house, his mom asked about Amber, of course, and sent him back to fetch her. Ricky rode to the Winn-Dixie and found her little pink bike, but did not find Amber. So, of course, he went back home to tell his mom. Oh, no. That poor little kid. Oh, I know. Amber's grandfather, Jimmy Whitson, immediately got in his car to go looking for Amber. Between the time that Ricky had doubled back to go home the first time and Jimmy going out to look for Amber, only 10 minutes had passed. Well, it's only two blocks away, right? So it, it, you know, you can move fast between those places, but a lot can happen in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And if you're on a bike too, yeah, that time will go quickly. After the police were called, 78-year-old eyewitness Jimmy Kevill stated that at approximately 3 o'clock p.m. that afternoon, he was in his backyard when he saw a man get out of a full-sized, single-cab, black pickup truck with a short wheelbase and a clear rear window. And again, I'm being very specific on these descriptions, just in case anybody knows anything. And for those of you who don't know what a short wheelbase is, I actually did my research on that. I went to go look up a picture. It's not an extended cab pickup truck like you would see today. I don't even know if they had extended cabs back in the 80s, which was the model that the truck was believed to be used in, in Amber's abduction. This man was seen snatching Amber straight off her bike. Amber at this point was kicking and screaming but he threw her into his vehicle and sped off and did that man call the police he sure did okay he immediately went inside to call the police i mean i would too if i heard if i saw a kid screaming i don't care if that's my parent mad that somebody didn't come home if that was my parent mad at me because i wasn't where i was not supposed to be or if i didn't come home on time I would basically call the police too, even if that person was related to them. Because like I said, with that woman in Washington, D.C., you're scared for your child and sometimes your emotions take over. You just can't be too careful these days. That's right. Yeah, the, I'm sure the police would rather... We said the same thing when we did the episode with Picture of the Scene, but the police would probably rather get a call that turns out to be just silly and nothing rather yeah. than nobody call, and now they have no idea where this kid is, you know? Oh, yes. And even if you thought it was going to be a parent snatching the kid and throwing her in the cab of the 
truck, mm-hmm. the parent's going to grab the bike and throw it in the bed. So true. I mean, they're going to be mad, but they're not going to leave a bike behind. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Well, Jimmy did the right thing. As far as the 1990s era, this story absolutely went viral. Police immediately began searching for Amber over the next four days without any breaks or very little sleep. Everybody was on watch for her. Well, four days later, on January 17th, 1996, a man was walking his dog and discovered Amber lying naked and deceased in a creek approximately four miles away from that Winn-Dixie. Her autopsy showed that Amber had multiple cuts and bruises all over her body and died from a slash to her throat that was either caused by a knife or a screwdriver. My God. That's so brutal. That poor thing. Yes. What an awful thing to go through. Yes. Police believe that Amber's abduction occurred by a local man who was presented with an opportunity. So it was not planned out in advance. He just saw her and decided in that very moment that he was going to snatch her off the streets. Yeah. Oh. What's your cat's name again? Puss. Oh, yeah. Oh. Puss agrees with us. Puss does. She says, I am against violence in all its forms. She can sense the emotions and she likes to cheer us back up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know. This one is getting a little rough here. I mean, I guess I have a question here. If police believe that this was a local person that had snatched Amber, how many full-sized single cab black pickup trucks with a short wheelbase are registered in the area? But it's Texas. I was going to say, yeah, maybe... But it is a small town, Texas. I feel like specifically that car, you could probably name every person that has that car. And Oh, yeah. Maybe. So did the guy have a description of the man who? Why, yes. I mean, a good description? Not like just a middle-aged guy? Middle-aged white guy? <laughs> no, he, he, had a, he had a pretty good description. Let me see if I can find this in my notes because I actually wrote that down. I wasn't sure if you had fully described the guy or just the truck. Nope. I haven't described him yet. He was in his 20s or 30s at the time. So he'd be about between 46 and 56 today. And he is believed to be white or Hispanic. The perpetrator who took Amber stood under six foot tall, had a medium build, and had dark brown or black hair. So there you go. I think that's a pretty decent description though. And I just, I mean, I'm going back to why, yes, we're in Texas, but in this instance, I think police need to follow up on every single pickup truck. I know it would be exhausting, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, I wonder how large the police force is. And if they didn't have enough manpower, I'm sure they could have called in the state police. Oh, yeah. Or the, what is it? The Texas Marshals. Is that what they call them there? Or the Rangers. Texas Rangers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they also didn't have like the databases where you could easily search. Okay. Every Toyota, every like registered in this county or whatever. Mm -hmm. But how times have changed with technology for sure. Mm -hmm. Police believe that something likely triggered this abductor like maybe a recent argument or maybe losing a job something like that that may have gotten him to act impulsively when he saw amber right just taking out his rage on the first person he found or the first person he thought would be vulnerable to him yeah wouldn't fight back as hard Mm -hmm. yeah okay so he's 20s to 30s dark brown black hair Hispanic or white and under six feet tall. That's a fair description when you also know what his truck looked like. Yeah. So how did they never even come up with any suspect for that guy? No idea. That is what's baffling to me. Yeah. I I don't get it. That's frustrating. Yes. Well... 14 days after Amber's abduction, a regular citizen like you and me named Diane Simone wrote a local radio station in Dallas, Texas, asking if local broadcasters could partner with law enforcement to get the word out quickly when children are abducted. Diane did not have any ties to the Hagerman family. She was just a woman following up on this story very carefully on the news. She felt compelled from these events to send that letter to the media. I know when I see this on the news, it really hurts my heart. So she actually did something about it. That's awesome. Good for her. Yeah. She wrote a letter to the local news station proposing an emergency response system called Amber's Plan, which prompted Dallas-Fort Worth broadcasting officials to come up with what is known today as the Broadcast Emergency Response System. 
This, of course, is where all our phones go off at one time. And I say good for you, Diane, for taking action on this because more of us need to do that. Absolutely. To not just say, oh, I wish someone would do something, but Mm -hmm. to actually stand up and do something yourself, that's awesome. Yes. Let me ask you a question, though, Deb. Amber's remains were found four days after she was snatched. Yes. How long had they thought she had been deceased? Would it have helped if they had had... Did they have four days that they could have found her or or had he killed her the first time? I did not find any information on that. That's what's so odd about these two stories, even with Levi and Amber. So little information is to be found out there about the circumstances of their death, how long they were there. I don't even know how long Levi was left in the forest. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that time now, information that we get about about those kinds of details. I think a lot of that's included in the autopsy findings. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that those were always available in the 90s. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, what I was thinking is because they're both unsolved cases, I wonder if they're almost doing that on purpose, that they have a little bit of leverage if somebody were to confess or turn somebody in. That's a good point, too. Yeah, good. Maybe. Good thought. So true. I always say, you know, police do hold certain information at the chest. So, yes, so they can hold somebody accountable if they ever find them. Authorities used the letters in Amber's name to call this alert system America's Missing. Broadcast Emergency Response, which is known as the Amber Alert. I thought that was pretty cool. It's not just named after her. It is definitely given that long name, and it's an official name, but I did not know there was meaning behind that, which is really cool. I also didn't know that, but it is great because it was a gesture to include her in it because it was her case that sort of prompted the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, like Levi's call, certain criteria must be met before it's activated and law enforcement has to determine if cases meet specifications, which I had mentioned non-custodial adults cannot request the Amber Alert. They have to be under the age of 18 and so on. Once a missing child is established, police agencies notify broadcast media and an Amber Alert is distributed over your phone and on those interstate digital signs that you see. Believe it or not, you guys, I did not know this. Amber Alerts are now on Facebook. Have you guys seen that? Oh, Beth, have you seen that? No offense. Bailey, I don't know how much you are into Facebook because of your age. No, No, you you are correct. She is not really into Facebook. Well, I was in high school. Not anymore. Okay, that was a while ago. Yeah. No. I think I have seen an Amber Alert on Facebook, but I don't see them very often. So I guess they must still be locally targeted, not just across all of Facebook. I think Mm -hmm. that they are targeted based on where you're located. Yeah, that's true. I do know that if I'm driving down the interstate and I see the sign, now I'm looking around for the silver Nissan with uh, ZXQYYJ. Are you know? <laughs> yes. Whenever I see those, it's usually like at the tail end of a long road trip. So it's always like, well, this is like a game I can play now, and it's horrible to say that, but it's like, okay, now I can focus on something, and that's yeah. why I recognize now, them so often. This will keep me alert long enough to get the rest yeah, of the way home. Exactly. Yeah. And it does wake you up for a second, like, whew, somebody else is having a bad day because that sucks. It does. During an interview in 2016, Amber's mother, Donna, is quoted as saying that this emergency system is bittersweet, obviously, because she wonders if Amber would have been returned safely had the system already been in place. Totally agree there. Totally agree. Right. I mean, that's the same thought I had a minute ago Mm -hmm. is that I wonder if it would have been the difference in finding her before it was too late. Yes. Now, interesting enough in my research, what I discovered is, believe it or not, once those Amber Alert systems are sent out, kids are discovered or found or rescued rather quickly because whoever took them in the first place usually give themselves up really quickly because they see it out there. They know everybody's looking for them, so they'd rather just give it up. So I thought that was pretty interesting that they turn themselves in really, really quickly after they see those Amber Alerts. Not everybody, but a lot of them do, which is really cool. Well, they're thinking I can either walk in there and turn myself in or I can be the guy on the 11 o'clock news with my face on the concrete and my hands cuffed behind my back. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
All right, as of May of 2022, the Amber Alert System has recovered 1,114 kidnapped or abducted children. So that's awesome. That is. There are currently 82 Amber Alert Systems in place throughout the United States, including Levi's Call that we discussed here in the state of Georgia. The Amber Alert System is not just in the United States. It's also internationally used now in 33 countries and counting so what a great thing that diane that yeah i mean good for her that was a great idea she was really thinking outside the box Mm -hmm. you know yes okay so you had mentioned earlier was there any dna available and police did collect dna for this case and they do hope that this will help close the case one day there's nothing in concrete but they do have dna available for testing have they run testing against the database against codis that is not clear nothing's confirmed and i did read that in some notes that i found that they have the dna but they don't have anything that can confirm anything just yet okay well if they aren't in the system then that won't that won't hit no and then to if they don't have much of DNA, maybe they're saving it. I wanted to point something out, which was also pretty interesting in Amber's case. You would think after 26 years that this would be a cold case, but it's not. That's good it's Mm -hmm. not. I'm glad it's not. Yeah, I had no idea that cold cases reached this kind of criteria, but apparently a case is not classified as a cold case unless there are no leads for 180 days. Oh, And police have never gone without a lead for 180 days in these 26 years that have passed. That's amazing. Isn't it? But they've had all those leads and they still don't have any suspects. I mean, that's what gets me, I guess, is about the fact that somebody was very distinct on the description of the person that took her, the vehicle that was taken. And if they do have a little bit of DNA, I just don't understand why there's no closure just yet. That's my two cents. Yeah. I agree with you. It seems like they had enough that they should have at least been able to canvas and find somebody to talk to about it. Well, I wonder if it's one of those things where after so much time that they maybe know who, for the most part, did this, where they just don't have enough for a warrant to arrest. You just don't know. Mm. Yeah, just like I said before, we don't know what they know and what they don't know half the time. Cause... It's like that search warrant. It took them seven years to go search Talent's house in Levi's case. I don't know how you can make any excuse for that, though. They knew that information for seven years. I don't know. I guess they just really have to make sure that they're following laws and have their ducks in a row before they can accuse, because imagine the lawsuits, right? Well, it came from his partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If your partner says, my partner is the one who has the gun who killed this child, I think you have to investigate that, or at least go and ask the guy, do you have this gun? Yeah, not even arrest them. You don't necessarily need to go in guns blazing and say you're under arrest, but like at least have a conversation. At least question him. Yes. Well, they couldn't have that conversation because the delivery man found him deceased. Well, I know, but he wasn't deceased seven years earlier when Mm -hmm. they first found out. Yeah, that's so true. You are right. So that whole case, both of these cases are just frustrating. They are, and they're so similar too. Very much. Well, if you have any information on Amber's case, you can call the Arlington Police at 817-575-8823 or Crime Stoppers of Toronto County, 817-469-8477, which is also 817-469-TIPS. Those are the cases of Levi, Frady, and Amber Hagerman. And since my sister Beth is not here to ask, I usually note that we have a teachable moment. And I have one today if you guys are willing to listen to this. Oh, no, we refuse to learn anything. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. What's the teachable moment? Okay. I know from what I do for a living that when you see something for a really long time, you know it's there. You just don't pay attention to it anymore. On that note, me personally, I am guilty of seeing those digital road signs showing an amber alert and really not thinking much of it past maybe one or two minutes, which is horrible to admit because Bailey, I liked your idea how you consciously make a game of it, especially if you're on a long road trip. 
but here's the deal. When those alerts go off, it really is a serious situation. A child has been taken, so time is of the essence, and that's when you really need to pay attention to your surroundings, not just for that minute or two, but until that child is found. You need to watch the news, you need to just look at those cars on the road. Just because I might see a vehicle with Florida license plates, I don't know, maybe that's the getaway car. It doesn't mean that they're not going to drive through Georgia to get to another state. So don't think just because it's got out of state license plates that they're not driving through your state. So my teachable moment here is to put your instincts on high alert and take an active role in saving a child from the same fate that Levi and Amber succumbed to. Diane Simone did and she changed history. So you go girl. Yeah, she did. Yeah, that is amazing. That's my teachable moment. I think people just need to put themselves in the shoes of the people who love that child that are missing. Yeah. Just think for one second what we talked about earlier. When your child has disappeared at the fair or the mall or at galleons under a canoe, yes. you're in a total panic mode. Just imagine if that was your child that that Amber Alert was issued for. Mm. You would want people to pay attention and help you find your kid. Absolutely. And it takes a village. When I was in Washington, D.C., I was literally walking towards that woman who had lost her kids to see if I could help when she found them. But it takes a village. Quit being a bystander and watching. Do something. Yeah. Don't assume somebody else is going to handle it. Well, yeah. If you're like the bystander, you're probably going to be a lot calmer and thinking more rationally about where would a child hide right here rather than the mom who's like, where, where, where? Like yeah. going back and forth. You know right. what I mean? Because so. her, her mind's in a flurry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you did a great job covering those, Deb. Thanks. And I I didn't know the Levi story, but I'm happy that you shared it with us. Yeah. And I, I did know the Amber. I had heard her story, but I didn't know almost any of the details that you gave. So thank you for, mm-hmm. for informing us about that. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you guys for being good sports and playing today. It was a really, really good time having you guys today. It was very enjoyable for me. Well, me too. Why'd you say it like that? Because I didn't want to speak for you. She's an adult. She gets to say her own things. That's true. Well, to our listeners, be sure to check out True Crime B&B wherever you get your podcast and follow them on social media. And since my sister Beth is not here today, I know you're listening to this, though. Guess what I get to say? That's a wrap. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Joe. Hold on, Dennis is barking. Can you hold up one second? So sorry. Be right back. Where's Puss? Get her meows out of the way. Squish her a couple times. She said if if she meowed, she would just leave him in anyway. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We left you a surprise. Goody! I love that. I love surprises. Thanks for listening to Dying to be Found. Before we go, we would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest at Dying to be Found. You can access our website, email, social media, and storyline request form by clicking on our Linktree account found in our show notes. If you like our episodes, consider buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash dying to be found, spelled just like you see it on our logo. Feel free to message us on Instagram and let us know how we're doing or if you'd like a sticker. With that, be sure to check us out every Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. We will talk to you all next week.